afternoon. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today in the studio, I'm pleased to have Bogdana and John Carpenter joining me. Welcome, Bogdana and John. Hello. Hello, thank you. <laughs> um, we've, got, uh, we've got many books on the table, and, uh, but the star book, the book of the day, will be Julia Hartwig's book, In Praise of the Unfinished, Selected Poems. And this was translated by John and Bogdana Carpenter uh, and just published this spring by Knopf. Um, and as a start, I will read the, the bios in the back of the book to get us uh, a bit grounded here. Bogdana Carpenter is professor of Slavic languages and literature and professor of comparative literature at the University of Michigan. She actually just retired recently, and that's, that's how I met the Carpenters. She is the author of The Poetic Avant-Garde in Poland, 1918 to 1939, and Monumenta Polonica, The First Four Centuries of Polish Poetry as well as other works. Quite a long list, I might add. I went to the, the University of Michigan website. It was a very long list there. Um, John Carpenter is a poet and literary critic. He is the author of Creating the World and a Study of the Literature of the Second World War. Among translations the Carpenters have done as a team are seven volumes of poetry and prose by Zvignu Erbert. And, well, welcome once again. So good to have you both here this afternoon. Thank you for having yeah. us. Um, I, maybe I'll read Julia Hartwig's bio as well, since she's our, our, our poet uh, in question. Julia Hartwig has published more than a dozen collections of poetry in her native country, which is Poland. And her work has been translated into French, Lithuanian, German, Russian, Serbian, Hungarian, and Italian. The recipient of numerous awards for her work, she is also a well-known translator of English, and French poetry into Polish. Um, so, how did you decide to choose Julia Hartwig to translate? How did this book come about? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, we have, I have, let's put it this way, admired her poetry for quite some time. But... It was her volume seen in 204 that uh, really kind of uh, became for me a revelation. And then later on, I also read the volume Without Farewell, an unusual volume. It impressed me and moved me, and I immediately ran to John and started to read to him the poems from the volume in very rough English translation. John was just as enthusiastic as me. And this just happened recently then. So this, this kind of relationship with Julia Hartwig's work is, is this decade for you. Uh, it is very recent. The, the kind of spark that we needed in order to decide to translate, but I have been reading Julia Hartwig's poetry and oh. admiring it for probably two or three decades. Oh, I see. Okay. But oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you said 2004. So yes. That's what I, oh, okay. You are right. Oh, okay. You are right. She did. Oh, there is a kind of, you know, we never uh, translate out of any obligation. For us, it has to be we have to be kind of in a transport over the mm. poet in order to decide to translate. So I admired her poetry. I thought she was a great and neglected poet, too. Neglected in, in her in, in this country Poland. or in Poland, in, in Poland as well? I see. She was a kind of, uh, she's a very um, kind of modest person, so mm. she doesn't promote herself. And... Um, uh, I thought she was in the shadow of other poets that were also very good, but like Zimborska is like Zimborska, a, a wonderful poet, a yes. wonderful poet in her own right. Mm -hmm. But so is Hartwig. Uh, well, Hartwig also was a wife of another poet who was very active, Artur Mienzyzetsky, yes. and I think she was also a bit in the shadow of her own husband. I uh, see. So, because there was that intersection with Zbigniew Herbert, um, right in in nineteen was it seventy three, uh, the Herberts lived with uh, Arturo 
and I, I maybe Julia Hartwig as well. Well, he he was. They were friends. Oh, okay. actually, they were yes. close friends. They he used the apartment once when oh, he see. didn't have an apartment, and they okay. were abroad. They let him live in the apartment. So, but it was this kind of new volume, which she she's now eighty seven. So the new volume that really spark kind of was a spark for us was published when she was. Eighty-three. Wow, that is so heartening to hear, isn't yes. it? Because you think some, you know, for poets, you and you know, writing the, some of the best work at age eighty-three is amazing. Yes, there are all kinds of theories. Some, right. of, <laughs> some things that if you haven't written your big work by the time you are twenty-five, that's the end of it. Let's hope not, right? But I'll be jumping off a nearby bridge. Not true for Julia Hartwig. <laughs> so she's like the good old French red wine. She's better and better with age. So then we also traveled, happened to go to Poland. We were in Warsaw in 2005. She was giving a poetry reading. We went to the poetry reading. We approached her and uh, we kind of said how much we admire her poetry. And it turned out that she already knew us from our translations of Herbert and said some very nice things to us. We already were kind of... Uh, germinating the idea of translating her but this kind of appreciation of our trans of us as translators that was the last thing we needed to propose to to her yes would she agree if we translated her okay and, uh, and let so. me maybe throw in something about okay. about this meeting of uh julia hartwig in 2005 um i didn't i personally didn't know her work at all until that point when um, we walked into the Palace of Culture in the middle of Warsaw to hear, I, I believe, three poets. Uh, Julia Hartwig was one of the three. I personally didn't know her work at all at that particular point. Bogdana did, I did not. Um, we listened to the three poets, and especially Julia Hartwig, her reading uh made a big impression on me on me um how so the reading was in polish to be sure um my polish is so so it, it has its ups and its downs depending uh on how long ago i was last in poland <laughs> something like that um i liked her poetry very much um And one of the poems we almost immediately translated after the reading, I think it was Philemon and Bocchus. I think we sort of ran home after the reading, really? opened, op opened the, uh, the Polish book of her poems that we had in our apartment there in Warsaw, and be began to translate. And I told Bogdana, well, we must do immediately... <laughs> Philemon and Bocchus, so we did, as well as two or three or four other poems within the next two days, I would say. Wow, so that was literally a spark, yeah, and, and there you was were transported, spark. and, and mm -hmm. that's you went to work immediately. <clears throat> yes. Not like, yeah. oh, well, we'll have some wine and <laughs> talk about it tomorrow, it was right away. <laughs> and, and one last thing, by the way, um, we both met Uh, Julia Hartwig for the first time that that day um, <clears throat> I'd like to just um, add something to, to what Bogdana just said two minutes ago about her personality um, let's just put it this way she is a very winning personality she is very gracious and graceful and she happens to be extremely modest And her modesty uh, captivated me uh, immediately. I could understand only too well that she was maybe in the shadow of a couple of other contemporary poets for, for many years. Um, sure, um, but you, as they say often that, you know, sometimes the people who put themselves forward go forward yes. and the others 
perhaps not. Uh, but that she doesn't re- mean that will be what is lasting, perhaps. <clears throat> yeah, she she remained uh, an excellent, uh, one of the finest poets of her generation for many years. Uh, I could see that uh, perhaps, perhaps a more <clears throat> outgoing, or she is outgoing, sorry, that's the wrong word, uh, but perhaps a more... Uh, extroverted or arrogant poet might put himself, uh, you know, in all the various magazines and uh, uh, a participant in all the trips to all the conferences right. bo- before her. Right. But uh, she... <clears throat> but the work itself speaks so clearly. This was it my does. first... Um, it does. Your translation of her work. Um, and, and am I correct to say that this is a book of poems that spans her work for 50 years? Is that what this represents? That's uh, correct. Okay. That's correct. How, how did you choose those poems, like from the volumes? Because uh, I'm imagining that you probably had all her books in, in her Polish b- published True. books. And then, because I know, well, you told us that you picked one poem, and maybe we can hear that one first. But how did you, how did you pick the poems to include in this collection? Out of the 50 years. Well, this is kind of my job, usually, (laughs) since I am the native speaker of Polish and since I can read easily. Um, It is interesting. It went in about, I think, three or four stages. At first, I picked up about uh, 20 poems, I believe, and uh, I always kind of roughly translate them to John to see his reaction and if he, for some reason is not turned on by a poem, we just leave it. We don't do it. We have to be both enthusiastic about the poem. We have both to kind of accept the poem. So I selected, I think, about 20, 25. But then, by then, we knew that we really want a volume. Mm. So then I went... When I took the poems, uh, there were also some poems which I liked, but a little bit less. So the the number ones had a little star next to them. (laughs) Number two had a little V next to them. A a little bit like the Michelin system. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And and so on. Is that for hotels and restaurants? Is that? Yes. Oh, I see. It's the guide, (laughs) the tourist guide. (laughs) So that's a little bit how it was with, with the selection. There were these tiers. So we first did the poems we liked best. Then we did the other poems. Sometimes, as we translated them, the ones that, for instance, were fairly low on our list, proved to be the best. Really? They, they sort of, they, and why is that? They became alive as we were translating them. It's, it's a difficult process when you are reading, uh, well, I didn't count all the poems that Julia Hartwig wrote and I read, but, well, let's say 400 poems. It's not so easy to select 50. Um, Plus, you, because poems come to you at different times, don't they? What you connect And it to depends them also on your mood when you are reading the poem. Sometimes it depends on the day when you are reading the poem. Did it also depend on the, the, the sound and the rhythm in the Polish? Or was it more about the content of what was in the poem, which what you knew you could do with it in the translation into English? A very good question. <laughs> uh, because it, uh, of course, as a native speaker of Polish, I am very sensitive to the sounds in Polish. So that I had to kind of block off. Really? Okay. Because I knew that it would be different in English. So the other, besides just this kind of content and the way the poem progressed and uh, what it said, I also had to kind of imagine how it will be in translation. Because there are some problems uh, uh, when you translate that are almost insurmountable or give poor results, uh, precisely poems that are based on sound effects. Mm. You never can quite reproduce those in another language. It's always approximate or kind of different. So these poems I knew I should not select. 
Yeah, yes, we should say that quite categorically, that, that you're never going to reproduce the sounds, the specific sounds of the original. Uh, no way. Um, what about the pacing? Do you try to oh, do the that? Oh, the, the rhythm. Reason? But uh, the sounds are, <clears throat> are nevertheless very important, the sounds of the original. But what do you do with that uh, when you translate? Um, that's always a question. It's always a problem. The, the sounds in the original language sort of hang there as, um, as um, possibilities, as uh, expressions that uh, you can try to capture in the... Uh, multi-tiered uh, process of translation, you might capture them, you might not capture them. Let's take a short break, John and Bogdana, and we'll come back. Um, you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and uh, well, yes, we'll be right back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us today on Living Writers, I'm lucky to have John and Bogdana Carpenter here in the studio. Uh, studio. We're, we're talking about Julia Hartwig's In Praise of the Unfinished, Selected Poems. Uh, this has got to be one of my all-time favorite titles as well, I must tell you, In Praise of the Unfinished. What a beautiful title. Uh, did, did you... Did you pick that for the collection? They're both pointing at each other for mm -hmm. listeners out there in Radio Land. <laughs> How, how'd you come up it, with the title? It it was our idea, and um, it was based on the very last poem in yes. the book. Yes, which is uh, "Feeling the Way," and uh, <clears throat> the book ends with the line: "A pencil, a brush, suspended in the air." Um, I think Julia Hartwig is talking. Not only about um, art in general, Leonardo, uh, for instance, but probably about herself, too. Uh, this is at least my imagination that she was imagining um, continuing her work. Um, it's without farewell, by the way, the, uh, the translation of her last 2004 book in Polish. I and, see. And I personally, I guess... So, when we picked, when we translated that poem, I pictured either a pen or a pencil suspended in the air. Yes, and and then the first line of the poem is the most beautiful is what is still unfinished. Yes. So that is that. Well, that's wonderful. Thank well, you. let's. Um, could we may we hear the poem that you you both were talking about being the spark that that began this relationship with Yulia? 
Yes, we, we heard her read this poem aloud. <clears throat> the title is Philemon and Bocchus. It refers to the old Greek myth about Philemon and Bocchus. Julia Hartwig didn't try to retell the myth in her poem. No, she simply refers to the poem in the title. Um, she doesn't retell it. Um, but for your background information, it refers to a myth about Hermes and, and Zeus who disguised themselves as beggars and went uh, among mortals on the earth to see whether mortals were still maintaining the old laws of hospitality or not. So they were disguised as beggars, and they came knock, knocking on the door of a very humble home of Philemon and Bocchus. They were an elderly, extremely poor couple who lived in the country. Oh. <clears throat> Philemon and Bocchus. One of them gets up at night. In the nightshirt, she shuffles blindly to the kitchen to get some water. The other listens. This shuffling bothers him. He is awake, irritated. He mutters impatiently. Suddenly his hair stands on end. Is this shuffling real, or is it only a memory in the past, in non-existence? It is real. She really shuffles, so they are still together. Grateful and reconciled, he falls back into his fragile sleep. Philemon i Bautis Jedno wstaje w nocy. W koszuli nocnej człapie po wodę do kuchni po omacku. Drugie nasłuchuje. Denerwuje go to człapanie. Jest rozbudzony, rozdrażniony, mrucz coś niecierpliwie. Ale nagle zjeża mu się włos. Czy to tłapanie jest prawdziwe? Czy już tylko we wspomnieniu, w przeszłości, w nieistnieniu? Jest prawdziwe. Człapie naprawdę, więc wciąż jeszcze są razem. Wdzięczny i pogodzony zapada znowu w swój wątły sen. Thank you, Bogdana. Thank you, John. Um, have you... Have you been speaking with Yulia since the book has come out? Has she seen your translations? Because she's quite accomplished as a translator. She she translated, uh, I think, in 1992, uh, an anthology of modern American poetry. Um, have you spoken with her since the book's been out? Oh, yes. Yes? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, on the phone, we spoke with her. And uh, but we have she has been very active during our few years of translation, precisely because she is an accomplished translator herself. She's very understanding and she knows English, which was not true of Zbigniew Herbert or the old Polish poets that are <laughs> that we translate. In Monumenta Polonica. <laughs> yes. Right. No one could quibble 17th with any... <laughs> and 16th century. Yes. Oh, they're long gone. <laughs> so we, in fact, already that first time when we started translating her in Warsaw, we went to her with about 15 translations and discussed them right there and then. We had some suggestions um, what and was we that were like? not sure. What? She was wonderful. She gave us completely a kind of freedom to do whatever we want. Uh, but she was also thoughtful when we translated. She thought about certain suggestions and then decided that they are good. But some other she didn't. She thought maybe not. Uh, sometimes she would suggest another word. Um, Would that make sense to you when she, the, the things that she suggested, did it make sense in a way to you as well? Or, or did you resist it? Or Well, well there was a discussion. Both. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. it's a new art object, a translation, isn't it? In a way. Because yes. you're also infusing it with your own art. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, she, she invited us to her apartment uh, 
several times in the course of a couple of years, and we would always go to a part to her apartment with a list of questions. Sometimes the list was quite long, and we very badly wanted her input to our questions. And some, sometimes we were gen, genuinely puzzled about some things, and and we um, we needed her input, her interpretation. Yeah, I can give you an example. One of the um, things she does a lot in her Polish uh, originals is uh, using capital letters in the middle of a line. Oh, like Emily Dickinson. Right. Yes. In some way. Yeah. It's a bit surprising. She doesn't use punctuation. Yes, I love that. And there is, <laughs> there is suddenly this kind of capital letter, and the, occasionally it is, uh, we understood the function of that uh, capital letter, but there were some, it seemed to us there were a few too many of these capital letters. So it letters. didn't seem to be a pattern. It wasn't indicating no. like a beginning of a new idea or... Not always. Oh, see, Not always. At least it we couldn't kind of follow. It seemed to us it uh, chopped mm. the poem too much. So we expressed our reservation and we said, uh, could we kind of eliminate not all of them, but some of them? And she thought thought very hard about it and agreed. Really? When she saw our English kind of version, she agreed about it. She also tended to write in Polish uh, poems that were not so much divided into stanzas, but were kind of one very long poem, sometimes with 30 lines. And a couple of times we suggested a break in the poem. As a result, she took an initiative and she actually introduced breaks in, I would say, about, what, 60% of her poems? The new poems that she was writing, Bogdana, or the poems no, the that poems you were working on? the poems that we were working on and she, just as, we, as she saw our suggestion for just a few poems, yes. she then had second thoughts about at least another 30 poems. That's amazing, isn't it? Seeing that interplay, how you're it's, influencing the poems. Yes. And Bogdana is talking not only about uh, our translations into English, uh, but I believe she introduced breaks into her Polish texts, too, as a result of our... Our input, right? Our interchange. Yes. We're having conversations about maybe yeah. the necessity or how it might make it the work stronger. Or Yes. yes. The, about a month ago, there appeared a volume in a very prestigious Polish publishing house, a bilingual volume of our translations and originals. Here it is. Oh, wonderful. Oh, And the, this is the selection... So it has Union. the English and the Polish. English and Polish. That's They're what I wish. Bi- that's I wish it's that this on, not It's bilingual on facing pages. Yes. Oh, uh, that's the one thing I was wishing for the Knopf, your edition here, is that they're not that I know Polish at all, but to be able to see that would have been. So this is wonderful then. Yes. This, uh, but of course, it's always very expensive. You have to have the special fonts. So many publishers don't want to go. Polish has lots of diacritics that English doesn't have. So it is a very, I can see how it is not a very nice option for an American publisher. But in this, when she made the selection and sent the Polish originals to that uh, publishing house, and we, and we sent our English translations of the same poems, and then we got the proofs, I noticed that the Polish poems still were without breaks, while already our translations, of course, had breaks. So I wrote her quickly an email and said, Yulia, there is a problem. The Polish poems are still the old poems. They don't have breaks. It's old structure, yes. So she quickly told the editor in the publishing house to do it, to introduce the same breaks as in English. So now, yes, indeed, there are new poems in Polish, in a way. That's wonderful. That is, that's, well, let's yeah. take, on that note, let's take a short break, and we'll, we'll be right back. You're listening to Living Writers today. Um, we've got John and Bogdana Carpenter and their translation of Julia Hartwig's In Praise of the Unfinished. We'll be back. 
Hi, I'm T. Hetzel. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor today on Living Writers, John and Bogdana Carpenter, um, and their their translation of Julia Hartwig's "In Praise of the Unfinished." Um, so the problems of translation, well, the joys, the joys and the problems. <laughs> it's summer. Why am I being so negative, right? <laughs> um, so, so yes, let's. Um, could we may we hear another poem, "Beautiful Sisters," and and a little bit about the the method that you have. I'm turning to for those following along at home. If you have a copy already of "In Praise of the Unfinished," <clears throat> turn to page eighty one. Beautiful sisters, no, memory is not alone. It is many sisters who are unlike each other, all hardworking, never resting. Their order must be respected. The oldest always continue to grow while the youngest die before gaining strength and body, bringing successors to life. For nature doesn't rule the family of memory. It isn't an image, even a reflection of an image, but a separate formation, a presence apart. In the end, we remember only the beginning, distant greenery before banishment from Eden. Well, maybe I can talk briefly about the pr problem that we had with this poem, translating it. Well, you see the title, It's Beautiful Sisters, that's because the word memory in Polish is a feminine noun. We in Polish distinguish between feminine, masculine, and neuter in nouns, pronouns, um, adjectives, uh, numbers, and sometimes verbs. And there's a neutral as well in Polish. Yes. Something, how interesting. In Spanish, yes. I think everything's assigned a gender. But yes. how interesting that some... A child in Polish is... Neutral. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah, see what happens. That's more fair. Not, not That's neutral, better. but the, the, the noun is of neuter not, gender. Yes. 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 Neuter gender. Yes. yes. I'm joking. Uh, so the very first line in Polish introduces a woman, a memory, an allegory of memory as a woman because it's feminine, and therefore. The next line and the title about her sisters, in Polish literally, her sisters are numerous. Well, what do we do about it in English? The, first, the very first line of the poem is literally, no, memory is not one thing. Well, we cannot say think about memory because this is precisely here presented as a person, as that, a woman. That, that would have been a poem breaker. <laughs> <laughs> so, yet, the entire poem and its entire structure relies on the personification of memory. So this caused us tremendous trouble. Uh, we tried all kinds of things, and uh, they were failures, of course. Uh, um, Did you try to ever let memory be the the be the feminine in the English, like to say? Well, and, uh, and uh, Bogdana, read read the first line, or maybe the first two lines in Polish. Nie, pamięć nie jest jedna. Jej siostry są liczne i do siebie niepodobne. Well, the feminine is the noun memory. At the end of the first line is the word alone here, which is in the feminine gender. The next line, her, the first word starts with her sister. So her, once again, again refers to a woman. And then again, the sisters are also feminine because they also have different memories. So hmm. what do we do with that? Memory yeah. is not a single thing. Memory is not a whole. Memory is not one entity. Memory, I mean, all of them are terrible. Yeah. One, one early version of that very first line was, no, memory is not one thing. Um, or there not, is not a... Which might be too bland, And perhaps. we tried a couple like, of <laughs> other versions that were no better. There is not a single memory or... 
there is not just one memory, it still doesn't communicate. Right. Whereas you get the personification in the line that you've that that um, that John read for us with that no memory is not alone. It gives it the human quality. We also had here is a good example of the capital letter in the middle of the line without punctuation which indicates the tone of voice. No. And then there is a break. Mm. And then, therefore, the capital letter. We, because we don't have the gender, we had to introduce even a bigger break. So that's what we did here, a graphic sign. Yes. Yeah, the, the long dash is our edition, yes. uh, the translator's edition here. It's not in the original. Yes, and all these things really, it's, uh, as you come to the poem, it makes such, it's the roadmap for the poem you're giving us. That's right. We, we wouldn't be able to, because the roadmap's there in the Polish as well, but for English, this is really helpful with this, this M long dash. Yeah. Yes. Um, and did you, and, and Bogdana, you mentioned that um, you had a, an Herbert uh, story to tell also about translate because did you meet you met him john mentioned oh, yes. when we were off the air that you met herbert oh we we knew him for something like 30 years 30 years he, yeah, wow actually exactly 30 years from 68 to his de- death in 98 so that makes 30 well i have a kind of funny anecdote about a a word that we needed it is a poem that herbert uh, called breviary or prayer Uh, that Herbert wrote just before his death, already when he knew that these are his last days. Um, And in these poems... What a poem to translate, then, to also know that feeling that someone It's a kind of psalm. It's kind of a thankful poem to Lord for all the wonderful things that he experienced in life. And at a certain point in this poem, he enumerates... All the different things that he's given in the hospital, on the hospital bed. And it's a list. <laughs> it's a list of, long list of uh, uh, different things. And one of them is the IV. Mm. And the IV in Polish is actually, he refers to it by a word in Polish, venflon which is just the part of the IV that is, goes directly into the vein, not the entire bottle that hangs above you. So when we were translating, we had a problem. What do we do with that one word? Because it's such an exact word, isn't it? Very the, exact word. And uh, it doesn't exist, the Polish word obviously is not Polish uh, originally, and it doesn't exist in any of the big dictionaries that we checked. I myself heard that word for the first time just a few years prior to us translating a poem because I was visiting my father in the hospital, and then I heard that word spoken by the nurses all the time. So we decided to enlist the help of John's brother, who is a physician, and uh, because he is a very pedantic person, he sent us <laughs> xero of copies of several uh, packagings of the IVs. So there we learned lots of terms. <laughs> very technical, like back neck valve, back check valve, four way stopcock, or valve port. We also learned, but that which one belongs in a poem, right? About someone preparing the, oh, to you have death, to you, their own death. Depending whether you are talking about the masculine part of IV or the feminine part of the IV, you have to use the proper word. This well, is, by the way, this is real translation that we're talking about. Yes, and yes, there, yes. There are choices galore. So there, there were also names of various firms that produce IVs that. So we thought maybe those, Cathlon, Angiocath, SafeSight, Whiteport Extension, K52L. Well, no, obviously none of them could be in the poem. <laughs> so 
It at that point, break, break, it would make a big break in the poem if you did insert one of those <laughs> well, things into it. Well, they are too it. technical mm-hmm. and they don't have the right sound. Yes. So then I, the sound in the poem is very important in Polish because it kind of matches the words Roman nymphs that appear in the next line. It's an echo of Roman nymphs. Well, yes, none of those words was like a nymph. <laughs> At that point, the opposite of nymph. <laughs> I decided, well, the word is not really native Polish. So I have a sister who is a physician in Poland. I wrote to her and said, could you please send me the packaging of the Polish IVs? And she did. And uh, who, that there it was. It turns out it's a Swedish word. It's the combination of the Latin vena, vein, and the Swedish word for flow, flon, ven, flon. But the packaging had also a mixed Latin-English inscription, IV cannula, with a valve port, cannula. This is what we were looking for. That's what you chose. The light. Went, uh, went on, yes. This is it. And then you this know it. it. But it's so interesting. This is one phrase in one poem that you were translating in, in a collection it, it's of... It's a single error. word. It's, it's one word, yes in, the, yes. in one poem. The amount of work that goes into this and, and the close... I mean, because people always rib poets for their close attention to like, oh, should there be a comma there? Should there not be? You know, like how poets are all about this intricacy and that's what you're bringing that intensity to every, every line of the translation as well. No wonder Yulia felt confident in having the two of you bring her work to um, an, an American audience. Well, yes. yes, the French call that the the mot juste, uh, the correct word. Uh, but this conversation is going to give us a bad press with the, with your listeners, and they're they're going to think that the carpenters are <laughs> are pedantic, just like John Carpenter's physician brother. I'm afraid. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's take a short break. And, and the carpenters are not pedantic. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. We're, we're talking about Yulia Hartwig's um, book, In Praise of the Unfinished, and also uh, Zvigno Herbert. We'll be right back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. And today, Bogdana and John Carpenter are here at WCBN. Um, thanks for being here today, both of you. Such such a, an amazing and interesting conversation that we're having about translation that we could talk for hours. I can see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so may we hear the poem uh, by Zbigniew Herbert, uh, the, the Prayer, now. Yes, let me read in English the our translation of that poem that uh, Bogdana just spoke about. Prayer. Lord, I give thanks to you for all of this jumble of life in which I'm drowning since time immemorial, helplessly, in dead earnest, concentrated on an endless search for trifles. May you be praised for giving me lowly buttons, pins, suspenders, eyeglasses, rivers of ink, 
always hospitable blank sheets of paper, transparent covers, folders that are patient, waiting. Lord, I give thanks to you for syringes with needles thick and thin as a hair, bandages, all sorts of band-aids, the humble compress, thanks for intravenous drips, saline solutions, cannulas, and above all for sleeping pills with names like Roman nymphs, which are good because they beg, they recall, they take the place of death. Thank you, John, for reading Herbert's poem. And that, and that you said he wrote shortly before he, he died. Yes. 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 And so um, would you mind telling us, uh, uh, Bogdana, a little bit about, um, that, well, you knew him so well for 30 years, so obviously uh, it's hard to... Uh, I will okay. briefly tell you how we met him. Okay. <laughs> okay, it was 1968, Berkeley, California. Um, Herbert was traveling across the country as the guest of the Department of State, and he came to Berkeley because to visit his good friend, the Nobel poet Czesław Miłosz. We lived in Berkeley. I was at that time a graduate st- student at the university and a student of Czesław Miłosz. So... Miłosz one day invited us together with other graduate students and colleagues from the department to his house to meet the Polish poet that he just translated. (laughs) That is just so exciting. I wish I was there with you. (laughs) The room was full of us sitting on every possible chair and couch and floor. And Herbert, Miłosz asked Herbert to read some of his poems And he read, Herbert had a beautiful, very low voice. Well, it made a tremendous impression on everybody and on us, too. We were not an exception. I already knew some of Herbert's poetry in Polish, not too much. And John, I think, by then has read some in Miłosz's translation. So we got very enthusiastic about meeting Herbert And a few days later, we invited the Miłoszes and Herbert to our house for dinner. And that's how our kind of long friendship started. But it was not Herbert who asked us to translate. We learned from someone, some friend, I can't remember who it was, that Oxford University Press was, and that was already a few years later, was planning to publish a new volume by Herbert called Mr. Cogito. And uh, that they were looking, they were had a kind of competition. No, sorry, Bogdana, that was the selected poems uh, of Herbert. Uh, Oxford University Press in Oxford, in England, initiated the project. Yes, that's true. But yeah. it was supposed first to be just Mr. Cogito. It oh, became selected really? poems, yes. And uh, so we submitted, we had already been translating for this, ever since we met Herbert, his poetry, just for our own sake, because we loved it, just not even thinking of anything. And um, I think that's how we react to poetry that we love. And so... There's no other way of jumping into it. It sounds like that's the most intense way of... Sort of your then you being, are really close to it. Yes. So we just uh, sent our translations and waited for the answer. And it came. We were selected. There were many others that submitted translations. And that's how it started, really. So, and, and because of your relationship with him, it seems like you can bring a depth of understanding to his, his work that I would think that maybe someone else couldn't have. Not that every translator has... Um, has that bonus of knowing the the poet uh, or the the writer but um but do you or do you feel that that is something a depth that you can bring to the poems that someone who who might not know herbert would not be able to bring you know to be very f- sincere yes i wouldn't claim that yeah. i think that knowing a poet is both a blessing and a curse 
Sometimes you wish you didn't. You <laughs> In know many a ways. bit too much about the man. And maybe you should just know the poetry. Mm. Um, it can be. Herbert, with Herbert, we didn't collaborate the way we did with Julia Hartwig. The reason is that he didn't know English. So there was no point of discussing translations with him. Um, nor was he, I think, interested in discussions of translating problems, etc. So with Herbert, it was completely on our own, without the input. Whenever we saw him, and we did see him, every time we went to uh, to Poland and also when he was teaching at, uh, in Los Angeles uh, for a year, I believe it was 1970-71, he visited us in Berkeley again. We took him to the Carmel Mission. We took him to San Juan Batista. We went to a rodeo together. Oh, rodeo. Wow. Yes. Very local <laughs> affair. Go America. <laughs> he loved it. It's almost it. the 4th of July, right? We should all go exactly. to a rodeo. It must have been around that time. Uh, but, you know, we discussed many things, political things kind of situation in Poland. Uh, uh, I was always inquiring with him about the new younger Polish poets. He was actually my guide into the younger generations of Polish poets. But we didn't never discuss really translations. Sometimes if we had questions, we would ask him, but not in the context of translations. Mm. Just ask him some questions. So how interesting each, like with... Uh Herbert, and then with uh, Hartwig, such a very different experience. Very true. Your work in translation. Yeah, but could, could I just add quickly that um, <clears throat> I especially was um, very impressed by Herbert's reading his own work aloud in 1968 at the Miłosz's house in Berkeley. Um, he read in Polish. My Polish was rather weak at the time, but um, Herbert's reading of his own, especially his rhythms and uh, tone of voice, were essential, I would say, for my later um, my struggles and attempts to find a voice in English and rhythms in English for Herbert. So when you would read the poems, were you able to then hear his voice then? Because once you've heard a poet, sometimes you can in the reading of it that's some sometimes i did imagine even that i was in his skin yeah breathing yes yeah do you know that um when i was looking researching before meeting with you today i saw that uh, yulia has there's a youtube clip of her on the computer and she's actually talking about another poet uh, whose name I will completely uh, Yehuda Amike I don't oh know. an Israeli <laughs> poet yes. and, and so she's I think giving a talk it looks like on a panel about this this poet and so just to see her it was I wanted to hear her voice mm -hmm. but before speaking with you today too so she's on YouTube <laughs> <laughs> she has, she's 87 <laughs> she has become very very now popular as a poet in Poland. Really? She has now two new books of translation in Italy. She just traveled to Italy for the second book, I think, for the promotion of the second. Um, it's kind of like... Her really, time has really come. Amazing. Yes, in a the way. Time has Her come. time has really come. Even, yes. even though she's modest, it's <laughs> the work has, has come out. Mo here. Modest and yet extremely active, uh, very prolific, uh, and her 2004 book especially, uh, I think, is our favorite. We what was the title of that book again? The Without Un Farewell. Without Farewell. Without exactly. Farewell. Without Farewell. And I think that, I personally think, we both together think that book was a real breakthrough as far as uh, style was concerned. It's a superb book. Uh, I just hope that the Polish critics realize it by this point. There's very little written about her in Poland. And this is amazing. And the critics somehow still did not do her justice. There are some reviews. They are usually very superficial. There are some wonderful big praises by 
very famous poets or men like Kapuściński, like Miłosz, like... Because Miłosz, he right. said the grand dame of Polish poetry, is that... Yeah. That's right? very true, but there praise, is no... Praise from fellow writers, yes. Right, but no good analysis of her poetry. Is that something both of you would feel comfortable doing, or is your work, do you believe, in the translating, working directly with the poems, not as a, a vehicle of a... Well, uh, we have a daughter. Yes. And in her dissertation, one of the four poets is Julia Hartwig. Wonderful. So I think that we do feel that there is a voice that will speak for her. And, and a very good voice, too. Yes. And and while she's alive, uh, to be uh, part of this, uh, you know, spread so people can know her while she's alive. We have access to her. Is your daughter in, in conversation with Yulia as well then in no, this project? No, she never met her. She just finished her dissertation a year ago. Oh, maybe she will but meet her? But we hope so. Yes. We hope she will be able to come to Poland one day. and Yes, or rendezvous her. in Italy. That sounds yes. nice. <laughs> or wherever her next tour <laughs> is. Um, well, well, thank you both so much for being on the program. This is uh, it's, it's fe- seemed to fly by. Um, Anytime you'd like to come back and have more conversations, we can do it. <laughs> thank you, Dean. Yes, thank you very much. And so just quickly, some announcements. Next week, we'll have Janet Kaufman um, on the program. Her latest book, Trespassing, Dirt Stories, and Field Notes. Um, and then the following week, we'll have Prida Semarasan with her debut novel, Evening is the Whole Day. Um, thanks to Alex Sergey for engineering. And to my mom for actually coming and joining us here in the studio. Um, This has been Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Um, Thanks very much, Bogdana and John. Um, The last word should be Yulia Hartwig's In Praise of the Unfinished, Selected Poems. Um, This book should not be underestimated. It's a wonderful book. And thanks to Bogdana and John Carpenter for bringing it to us in translation. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. myself when under stress. Adrian Blue, keep listening to WCBN FM right here in Ann Arbor. This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, the 2nd of July, 2008. From Pacifica Station KPFK in L.A., I'm Aura Bogado. On today's newscast, we'll hear about McCain and Obama's positions on free trade. South Central farmers and their supporters denounce a plan that they say will pollute their community. Human rights groups mobilize in Eugene, Oregon during the U.S. Olympic track and field trials. And we'll hear about domestic workers organizing in New York, where a recent case highlighted the abuse and torture of two workers from Indonesia. Those stories and more, but first, this news. I'm Shannon Young with the headlines. Colombia's defense minister says a group of commandos has rescued a former presidential candidate and three U.S. private contractors that the FARC guerrillas have held captive for several years. Ingrid Betancourt and the three American contractors were the highest-profile hostages held by the Colombian rebels. Eleven captured Colombian soldiers were also freed in the rescue 